Welcome to Empaths Rising. I'm your host, Elizabeth Barre, and I'm a coach based in the UK. I've worked with many women in recovery from toxic relationship and narcissistic abuse, and I've become fascinated by the stories of people who let empathy lead them into purpose. From therapists, coaches, healers, social justice warriors, and more, come learn about the unique journeys of the highly attuned and find out what it means to live as an empath on the rise. Hey everyone, welcome back. This week, we are continuing with our theme of narcissistic abuse recovery on the show with a new coach. Her name is Roni Frazier, and she calls herself the rock and roll coach. She is a narcissistic abuse recovery coach who is based in London. She's a survivor, mentor, and speaker who works specifically with women in her coaching practice to help them recover from the after effects and the trauma of narcissistic abuse. Uh, hi, Roni. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so you are a narcissistic abuse recovery coach. Maybe you could kind of like walk us through what that, what that means and yeah, of what course. you do in your practice. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I work with um, abuse survivors that come out of narcissistic uh, relationships and as a consequence, struggle with their mental health. Um, And uh, yeah, so I have like various different qualifications. I call myself narcissistic abuse recovery coach because I personally find coaching very empowering. Um, But I'm also a hypnotherapist. Uh, I'm an NLP master practitioner and trainer, havening techniques practitioners. I have quite a few strings uh, to my bow, but uh, when I came up with the term narcissistic abuse recovery coach, the reason why I called it that way was actually because uh, the acronym is NARC, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, NARC is how the narcissist is oftentimes referred to. So it's a little bit of a subliminal uh, reframe. Uh, And yeah, so what I do is I uh, support women that have come out of those abusive relationships and now struggling, um, you know, getting their lives back together, their feet back on the ground, regain their mental health and uh, create, you know, a a really beautiful life despite this experience and basically recover who they were always meant to be. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I'm wondering, you were saying, you you were kind of alluding to... uh, people struggling with their mental health in the aftermath of a relationship that's like this. Do you see like any patterns in that? Any, any, you know, any kind of like similarities um, in people? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting actually, because narcissistic abuse is quite complex as such. And every story you hear is straight out of the movies. Right. Um, but what I found, uh, and I've been working with survivors for over three and a half, almost four years now, Um, you know, the tactics that are used by the abusers are all the same. The mental health Mm -hmm. challenges, the symptoms the survivors are experiencing are all the same. And uh, the the recovery actually also follows the same pattern, uh, which then, you know, made it able for me to actually develop a whole program around that. But there definitely is a pattern 
uh, in the, the symptoms that a survivor will experience, there will always be severe anxiety. There will always be, um, you know, difficult to control emotions, a really profound sense of emptiness and loss. Like the thing with with narcissistic with a narcissistic relationship is, it's nothing like a normal relationship, and neither mm. is the breakup. So whereas every breakup, you know, hurts and is unpleasant, the impact that a breakup from, from a narcissist has is so much more in-depth and, and profound. That's also where the challenge comes in that people just don't get it, yes. you know, because yep. they just compare yep. it to a normal breakup, um, but it's nothing yep. like a normal breakup at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like... Um bewildering for the I mean certainly for the target especially if you've really never heard of narcissistic abuse before but then also for everybody around you who is is assuming it's that the breakup is following the 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 normal trajectory of just a straightforward breakup um the advice that people can give us can actually be uh pretty harmful and pretty shame inducing yeah it's it's very um it also makes you feel really lost and misunderstood right because i mean obviously they mean well but then you know snap out of it or move on already just move on it's time to move on you know it's like it's the worst because you would if you could you know and uh, time will heal all wounds. It just doesn't doesn't apply because uh, the damage that's caused is actually on such a deep level. It literally re, um, uh, restructured the landscape of your brain, right? Yeah. So it's not just something you're making up. There is like actual evidence that uh, your your brain structure has changed. There are parts of your brain, you know, they are highly functioning, overly functioning really. And then the other parts of the brain, they're completely switched off. So obviously, you know, the healing aims at regulating uh, those those functions again and the emotional well-being. But it's really something that unless it has happened to you, you just cannot comprehend, you know. So it's not like they're not yeah. trying to understand and they're not trying to be there um, for the survivor. However, there's this really, really big gap of understanding and this disconnect. And that's why the recovery from narcissistic abuse feels so lonely, you know, because you're basically Mm -hmm. going through the darkest time of your life, seemingly all on your own, uh, which isn't necessarily the truth. However, it, it it feels that way. Yeah. Oh, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also uh, something that you see in every survivor, you know, trying to make themselves understood, but it's just not being received. And not even only family and friends, even, you know, therapists, medical professionals, um, because it is a very specific topic. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we we've touched on this before in this podcast, but um it's, it's worth noting that you should be aware if you're, if you're looking for therapy around this issue, uh, many therapists don't really have a lot of training yeah. in identifying personality disorders or understanding personality disorders or treating the effects if you've been the victim of abuse by someone who has a personality disorder. There's yeah. really... Um, if you have a therapist that can do that, it's not something that they learn in school. 
No, it's, no, it's really something where textbook yeah. simply does not apply. Exactly. And I mean, of yeah. course, you know, there is there is a, a time and a place for traditional therapy, but this is not it, you know, because your traditional therapy, talk therapy, um, CBT therapy, it's just not trauma-informed as such, and it won't provide you with the tools that you need to actually, you know, access the damage on such yeah. a deep level it was caused uh, and that makes it quite quite challenging to actually find somebody um, out there who first of all gets it just because you get it doesn't necessarily mean you can help because to yeah. be able to help you must have done your own work because otherwise you get triggered all the time you know um, right. so uh, yeah I mean it's a good thing that that it's a uh, a term now, right? It, it has a meaning yeah. now, which a few years ago wasn't the case at all. I remember when I was going through my recovery, narcissistic abuse wasn't a thing. You know, right. it didn't it didn't exist as such. There were no books, or you know, there was one book. Whereas now you go online, and it's very easy to find content. You know, um, it's very easy to stumble across the term narcissistic abuse, to look into it, you know, to to find all the technical terms uh, like gaslighting and triangulation and trauma bonding. So it's much easier nowadays to actually realize what's going on. But there is yeah. a big difference between understanding rationally mm -hmm. what you're dealing with. And even then it doesn't really make any sense because it just doesn't. Um, but, you know, cognitively getting your head around and becoming an, an expert in, in the field of narcissistic abuse, which literally every survivor of narcissistic abuse is and becomes, you know, because yeah. something so horrible has happened and you're trying to get your head around something that doesn't make any sense. So you become really obsessive, right? You read everything, you listen to everything, you, you oh, yeah. join every group. Yeah. And um, so it's it's much easier to do that nowadays. However, there's a big difference doing that and doing actual healing work. Um, because yeah. what I think a lot of um, survivors that have even already gone down that whole research route and have all this really um, in-depth knowledge, what they notice is that actually, despite all of that, they're not getting any better health-wise, yeah. their mental health, yeah. they still have the triggers, you know, they may be removing themselves from the situation that triggers. However, if they are honest with themselves, the triggers are still there. Um, the Absolutely. mental health challenges are still there. You know, it might be yeah. a two-hour conversation with yourself just to get out of the housing or grocery shopping and, and stuff like that, you know, uh, which yeah. means, yes, you get it. However, there is still a lot of healing that needs to be done to actually be able to lead a normal life again, if that yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, we know now that trauma lives in the body and uh, our nervous system cycles through that right. um, a lot. So um, you can have, as you said, long lasting effects and symptoms mm -hmm. that are, maybe you don't actually even attribute to the fact that you were in an abusive situation with a narcissist, but it's actually um, affecting you long term. Yeah. Uh, 
very, uh, very directly in the body and maybe even to your health. Mm-hmm. And you, you might not know why. So I, I absolutely agree that while it's good for you to educate yourself about what happened and that that can actually be very comforting. And for me, it was actually a bit addictive. I, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. You know? Um, what a rabbit hole it is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that only gets you so far. And if you yeah. stay stuck right there, um, there's going to be a point at which you just find that you're, you're hitting a wall. You're not, you don't feel that you've recovered, even though you know more about it. Yeah. Yeah. You will also find yourself in the same situations over and over again, despite of all the knowledge. And that's also an indication, if you already know everything about narcissists and narcissistic abuse, but for some reason, the the partner after and the one after that, or even friends, you know, that come into your life, and and they all fall somewhere on that spectrum, that is also an indication that, that you have more healing to do. Because the reason why those people are attracted to you is because you haven't changed your inner programs yet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I wonder if you could kind of talk to us a little bit about your your story with narcissistic abuse. Mm-hmm. I know I really enjoyed listening to you uh, tell your story because it's really quite remarkable. Um, like every story, seriously, every yeah. story I hear yeah, <laughs> um, it's straight out of the movies, you know. But the the thing is, it's it's not a competition, right? It's not like my story is worse than yours, mm-hmm. which oftentimes uh, I've seen happen in those support groups and forums, actually. You know, where it's like yeah. trigger yeah. warning, and then there is like this horrendous story, but then somebody comes and actually tops it with a more horrendous story. Um, all of the <laughs> stories are straight out of yeah. the movie, and and that's why yeah. like, people that haven't experienced it don't get it either, you know, because they only know stuff like that from the movies. It's not actually real life, but for us it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so for me, I mean, looking back now, I can see that basically throughout my whole life, uh, I was in abusive relationships, but I didn't actually realize that being treated that way wasn't okay. So um, I thought there was like this one particular a boyfriend who literally brought me to my knees. Uh, But actually, that wasn't the first. It was just that one that hit me so hard, you know, that I actually had to pause and sort my my stuff out. Um, So I was in, I lived in LA at the time. And I had, uh, yeah, I had a really successful career in the music industry. And you know, house in the Hollywood Hills and sunshine and palm trees and really living this, this dream life, you know. And uh, I, like most of my 20s, I spent single on my own, avoiding triggers, right? But I didn't know that then. Um, and really focusing a lot of energy on creating this really amazing life for myself, you know, to prove everyone, which basically means me, that I didn't need anyone, meaning a man, uh, mm-hmm. for anything, right? Being happy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. all of those things, you know, it's unconscious. It's not, um, you don't really think about it, but I created this really amazing life. I wanted to live in LA. I made that happen. And um, 
from the outside looking in, I literally had this really like proper dream life. Um, but the reality was very different because I was introduced to a mutual friend and, you know, you will get on really well. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm always happy to meet new people and stuff. And I wasn't looking for anything or anyone. And actually the first moment he didn't do anything for me at all. I didn't find him attractive. Um, yeah, there was like nothing at mm -hmm. all. Uh, two days later, he was my world. That's how quick that happened. Yeah. And like my friends, they were just looking at me like, what is going on? Like, what do you even want with a guy like that? You know, um, but it was literally like I, I had my, my drug fix, right? And I was instantly hooked. And uh, he became my everything, really. And uh, pretty much overnight, my mental health um, started declining very rapidly. And uh, 45 days after meeting him, not even dating, after meeting him, uh, I found myself in A&E or ER, uh, Right. The American listeners. And uh, that's how powerful his impact was. And I had absolutely no idea what had hit me. You know, I knew that something was really, really wrong, but I didn't recognize myself. You know, I was, I was always this really, you know, stable, smart, successful, independent woman, right? And all of a sudden, from one moment to the next, I was not functioning at all. My anxiety was so bad. I couldn't leave the house. You know, I had blackouts. I couldn't, uh, I, I had no, no connection to reality anymore. Uh, but weirdly enough, at work, I was showing up. And I was head of finance at the time of a multi-million dollar international business operation. And I was doing an MBA at the time. And looking back now, I have no idea how I actually pulled that off because I, I had no actual recollection of anything that was happening around me in my personal life. Like that was such a big black hole. And I was really, really struggling with my mental health. But for some reason at work, I just, I showed up and... Um, eventually I dropped everything and abandoned my, my California dream. And with that last energy I had left, I got on that plane back to my parents at the other side of the world. And, um, everybody thought I had lost my mind, you know, like, why would you leave a life like that behind? Uh, but that's the thing, you know, we are very good at creating this pseudo happiness, so first of all, we're trying to convince ourselves that everything's fine. But then, of course, we want to convince everyone else that, you know, everything's fine and we're in control, but, but we aren't actually at that yeah. time. And um, I literally didn't have a choice. I knew I wouldn't survive another four weeks. Um, I was just running out of strength. Um, and I still didn't know what, what was going on. I tried to find therapy, um, but as we just said, you know, I went there and, um, you know, trying to put it into words, but I don't know what's going on. So what am I going to tell them? Right. And because as I said, textbook doesn't apply. So they think you have like this overly emotional reaction to a breakup 
Um, but actually there's so much more to it. And she actually said to me, I'm at a loss for words. And I said, what do you mean? Don't you see this every day? And she says, yes, I do. But you are an extremely sad case. And I'm like, well, thanks. You know, mm-hmm. needless to say, I didn't go back. And and the thing is when we first experience it, because we don't understand, we don't have the language to express it either. So we may be looking for help, but actually we can't find the help because we can't even put a finger on what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've heard many, um, many survivors that go to therapy in the midst of the, of the turmoil of this oh, yeah. kind of breakup with your emotions, like all up and down. The way you might appear in, in therapy is like, maybe you get a borderline personality diagnosis. Yeah. Um, there's actually, um, it's the, the whole, um, diagnosis labels, I personally find quite dangerous actually. Um, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, when I work with my clients, we remove any kind of, um, labels right from the get go, because, you know, it, it always depends on who you talk to, what their understanding of mental health is, what their attitude towards mental health is, you know? Um, so you go somewhere and you are lucky and you get a CPDSC diagnosis, which at least acknowledges that something has happened to you, right? Yeah. Um, you take the same symptoms, you go somewhere else, and you get a borderline personality disorder diagnosis, which indicates there is something wrong with your personality. Now, just based on that, that already impacts the perceived ability to heal for for the mm-hmm. survivor, Right. Uh, because one says, okay, something happened, and the other thing says, oh, no, there's something wrong with you. You're totally messed up. Right? Yeah, so, and borderline, of course, is one of the, in the therapy world, it's considered one of the most untreatable. Yeah. Well, um, it's just the, the approach that's wrong, yeah. you know. And yeah. uh, so most people I work with, uh, they they are, well, if they are diagnosed or they are self-diagnosed, um, but they they all come to me with PTSD, CPTSD, um, PBD, yeah. and um, yeah. But but from from yeah. my point of view, you know, you come to me. There is no judgment. I listen to you. What's going on for you? I care about what are what are your symptoms, and how can we, you know, eliminate those symptoms rather than just slapping a label on. And I mean, I've I, I was told that I would have to you know, take medication for the rest of my life uh, because it's a lifelong condition you now have, right? And uh, a big part of my abuse was that I was drugged without my knowledge, right? So it was like spike drinks and uh, over about eight months. And taking drugs to fix this just wasn't an option for me, you know? And... I just had this thought in my mind and I think it, because I, I didn't struggle with my mental health before, really. I mean, obviously you have like some down times and all of that, but I've never had like mental health challenges as such. So there was always that part in my mind that knew that there is something else, you know, that, that there's got to be something um, that can reverse the damage as effectively and as quickly as it was caused. That was always my thing. And I don't know, call it German efficiency. I don't know, but I really went on this mission to find yeah. that something. And I mean, I, I was probably, after I got back from LA, uh, went to my parents. 
that's in the Bavarian village. You know, I couldn't find any help there. I did go to to the GP and he just went like, yeah, you, you know, silly little girl, just snap out of it already kind of thing. And I realized I wouldn't find any help there. So I went back to London because I thought, uh, you know, it's a big city. So the chances are much higher that I would find someone. And um, I did find a therapist who didn't get it as such, but she made me feel understood and uh, not judged. And she held the space for me and encouraged me to explore various different things. So I still had to go out there and put the puzzle pieces together myself, but I had somebody in my corner, right? Yeah. And that's so powerful, just having somebody there when actually, you know, when you feel so alone. And um, for about two years, I probably... You know, like I was going into hiding, I was isolating myself, I was researching a lot, um, just just the usual. It's quite funny talking about it from, from my own um, perspective, actually, because I very rarely talk about my story. Um, mm. But I, I developed this whole timeline, uh, big picture. Uh, so it's quite interesting in my head. I'm following through <laughs> through that timeline right now. Um, but yeah, so that was about two years. And as I said, I went on this mission to really, you know, find something because I just did not want to accept that this is what it is. And once I did find it, it took me five months um, to to become healthy and symptom-free. And five months uh, in the bigger context of having a lifelong apparently lifelong condition you know it's it's incredible it's uh you know it depends on your approach and of course your commitment and I mean I went all in right because I had nothing left to lose um I was like okay so if it doesn't work out all right well I'm at the end of my road already anyway right so I just went like all in a hundred percent and uh as I said it took five months and Uh, What I then did was just, you know, I explored a lot of different things because trauma is complex, right? There is not a one-size-fits-all kind kind of solution. And I would encourage anybody um, who's struggling with their mental health to go out there and try out different things and see what works for them. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I did was there were specific modalities that were really, really powerful and effective, um, like hypnosis, NLP. Um, so those were the first two uh, that made such a huge difference on on my uh, well-being and my recovery. And I realized how much power I actually have over myself, you know, how much things I can change really easily, things that you thought that are just the way they are. Um, so then I got trained in those modalities and um, modified them for the exact purpose of narcissistic abuse recovery. So it's very um, directly targeted at dealing with complex post-traumatic stress, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, removing the triggers, stabilizing the emotional well-being, um, but then also, once that's done, exploring 
what's actually underneath all of that? What is this actually really all about? And once we do that, we can, you know, it's basically like running an update you do on a computer. It's exactly the same thing because every now and then the program is faulty or it's outdated. You run an update and the system runs smoother for it, right? So it's exactly the same for us. We can run an update on our programming and things that don't serve us anymore, you know, we can update to something much more healthy. Um, so I got like really, really passionate uh, about my my work because obviously, you know, I mean, I walked through it. I did all of it and I saw the results. And then I started working with clients and they saw the same results. And um, yeah, so... Uh, um, I, I have a question around... Yeah. Um, just wanting to know what you think of it. Uh, this the codependency model with narcissistic abuse is that something that you resonate with and use in your work? Um, a lot of people who work with narcissism are it's like two sides of the fence. Like some some people really believe like codependency is part of it, yeah. um, and if you are with a narcissist, you're probably codependent most likely. Yeah, um, so, and then some so people are like. I don't, I don't ascribe to that theory at all. Um, so I'm just wondering like where you are in your practice with that. Uh, no, I think codependency is a very big um, part of uh, what's getting you into trouble in the first place, you know, um, because that whole dynamic, how you attract a narcissist into your life is because they, and even though they are just pretending, pretending, but they are meeting a need that isn't met. And then obviously they take it away and that's where the whole hook is, right? Because you want oh, it yeah. back. And um, I think that codependency actually is not only one-sided, it's not only the the victim of the narcissist. The narcissist also has a codependency um, with with the victim because it's a, a give and take for both, right? It's just not a very healthy um, way of giving and taking because it is very one-sided. But there is a big, big part um, that's very much based on an, an energy exchange. You know, it's a very, uh, it's, it's an addiction. And in, in narcissistic abuse, like not just, being with the abuser, that's an addiction. You're addicted to love because that's, you know, what they gave you in the first place and then they took it away and love is the highest high there is. Um, but there are so many other addictions that also play in um, because what oftentimes happens is that people start drinking more, uh, maybe they start using drugs. Uh, so mm -hmm. that whole uh, dependency is on so many different layers uh, in a narcissistic relationship, you know, um, even, even the sex, uh, that's, yeah, that's sex quite addictive, yeah. um, yeah. because they are just so good at everything they do, you know, and because they are very, um, observant and they're, they're basically uh, natural hypnotists, you know? Um, so, um, they're, yeah. So what they, what they can create is a dependency on them on various different levels you know as i said it may be the sex he may be or they may be you know the the drinking buddy that justifies the increased alcohol intake 
Um, they're basically the drug and the drug dealer at the same time. And they're in complete control um, to decide when you are allowed to feel good and when, when, when not. Oh, yeah, I really, I really relate to that one. I mean, I think it's brilliant that you brought up the sex because I have to say that what people describe, I'm sure you see this in your practice too. Yeah. People describe like, it's almost like sex when combined with a trauma bond mm-hmm. is going to be just the most powerful, most crazy, most addictive Absolutely. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then when people go into healthy relationships, they say like, it's just like somehow I still even maybe keep thinking about the narcissist. I wonder why it was so good. And yeah, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a big, uh, big uh, part of the whole, whole abuse. It's also something they can then take away from you, right? Because Mm -hmm. you have like this wonderful experience, but then again, they are in control to say, okay, you are allowed to have sex now and no, tonight I don't find you attractive. You know, so that's, uh, and I remember I once was dating a guy and he actually told me that he said to me, um, sex gives him a lot of power over women. And I said, what are you talking about? It's just sex. But actually, you know, of course he was right. Because how long was he still in my mind after we broke up? You know, and what also happens uh, and that's a really big one in, in narcissistic abuse because there are so many good memories right? Because you met your soulmate, right? And mm-hmm. what we tend to do is we remember the good things, but we don't think about the bad things. Now, our brain actually cannot distinguish whether something's happening for real or whether you're imagining it, right? So if you then keep replaying all those lovely memories, and that obviously includes the sex as well, what you are doing is you're actually feeding into your addiction, Because for your brain, for your mind, for your body, the chemical reactions are all the same. It's as if it's happening right now. So even if you're already no contact, as long as you keep replaying those things, you stay hooked. Yeah. And um, yeah, a big part of my work um, is also to remove those emotional um, attachments, those emotional charges to certain, certain memories, you know. And, uh, I mean, the sex can be absolutely incredible, which most of the time it is with a narcissist. But then, uh, what I also hear a lot is, um, that the narcissist actually made them do things that under normal circumstances they wouldn't have done. And, uh, they may have even enjoyed it at a time, but then now that that relationship is over, it comes with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. Um, so it has like, both sides to it, but either way, it's a control tool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for the listener, what, uh, what cycle of, of behavior should people look out for in, in relationship if they're wondering somebody's a narcissist? Uh, I mean, the most obvious one, uh, and most of the time those narcissists are not the narcissist you think you know you know they are really full of themselves and all you know uh spending all the time in front of the mirror because that would be too easy because they would be too easy to spot so um oftentimes it's somebody who may not even be uh necessarily somebody you would think oh they're uh really good looking or 
you know, something like that. So it's more about the behavior. So one big one, obviously, is um, if the actions don't uh, match the words, you know, they promise, 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 but they never deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's a that's a big one. If you find yourself constantly waiting for something that they said they would do and it never shows up, um, then in the beginning of the relationship, there is a the love bombing and it's... Uh, it feels amazing, right? Because all of a sudden you are the most amazing person they've ever met and everything about you is so wonderful. And um, and maybe you've been deprived of that feeling before. Like maybe you've gone through life feeling like you weren't very significant. Oh yeah. And that, that's usually yeah. what gets you, what gets you into trouble yeah. in the first place, you know, like, <laughs> um, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Um, and that's yeah. what I mean with those, those unconscious programs that we have running from, from childhood, you know, um, which weren't necessarily intentionally planted there, but they were. Um, and we are trying to fill this void and they tap right into that. But um, yeah, so what you will find is that they make you feel really, you know, beautiful and smart and attractive and whatever it is that's important to you, you know, Um, and then they will take that away. And all of a sudden you realize that everything that they found so great about you, they now actually despise, you know, they hold it against you. There there are so many, so many things actually. Um, Yeah. That there's always somebody else involved, you know. Oh yeah. Like once yeah. they make you right. feel, once they make you feel like you will never be good enough. Yeah, obviously. I mean, sometimes it's uh, it's uh, disguised as polyamory, um, especially when you talk about spiritual narcissists, uh, which yeah. is a whole That's other one of my topic. Favorite yeah, a whole yeah. other topic. Spiritual narcissists and also narcissists that claim that they're claim that they're practicing polyamory. Yeah. A lot of times what you see is like, a, you know, a person that's been targeted and then they're like, well, but yeah, they, my partner says he's polyamorous and that's, exactly. and that's why it's hard for me. And it's like, yeah. and polyamory if you, if actually you, entails consent, right? Like that's, that's yeah, really, so it's it just, yeah. it's just, um, you know, a justification to put up with unacceptable behavior. But if you, of course, already have this program installed of you that's unconsciously running all the time, that you're not worthy, that you're not lovable, um, maybe you've had experiences like that throughout your whole life. As I said, once I looked back, I was like, oh, man, like seriously, since the age of 16, I was in relationships like that. So for me, that there was somebody else was always normal. You know, it was just part of the deal. Whereas um, now I would never put up with that, you know, because yeah. I respect myself. I know I deserve better, but that requires healing work. So um, what you often then find is that there is uh, other people involved and then it might be disguised as like a polyamorous thing because, you know, they, they just have so much love to give. But actually what I do is they take the love to, you know, mm-hmm. fill their void and it will never be enough. Um, what other things? Yeah. There are just, so if something yeah. feels wrong, that I think that's the main one, actually. If something feels wrong, it is. Yeah. And yeah. we oftentimes just ignore our intuition, you know, because we're like, yeah, it's just because we're so messed up. It's because of our experience and, you know, not everybody can be bad. If something in your gut 
goes off, you are right, always. And you don't have to be able to put a finger on it. It doesn't matter. You're always right. And everybody I work with says that they, if they're really honest with themselves, they knew from the very first moment they met. Yes, the very first I instant. absolutely attest to that. My, my yeah. main narcissistic teaching relationship. I'm thinking of the the first moments yeah. of encountering that person, and I, I absolutely had that sensation of like uh, that's a disconnect. Like, but interestingly, I kind of intuitively knew that we had something to work out together, but that really freaked me out. I was like, no, yeah. don't let that happen, you know. <laughs> but I did. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's all lessons we need to learn. The important thing yeah. is that we actually take those learnings and do something with it, you know, rather than just uh, feeling sorry for ourselves and just accepting mm -hmm. that we are a mess now for the rest of our lives. Um, but I actually, I remember a guy, and that was after I came back from LA, um, because as, remember I said, as long as your healing isn't done, you attract the same kind of person. And they are just maybe a bit more sophisticated, maybe a bit more subtle. So even though you have all this knowledge, you don't spot it straight away, you know, because they are just a bit of a different variation. And um, the first night, and I met him and he was so wonderful and supportive and uh, understanding. And I was very open about my experience, what has happened to me and, you know, my, my challenges and all of that. And uh, he very instantly became kind of like my, my rock. Uh, obviously, what he was doing was collecting ammunition. But uh, the very first night we spent together, which actually only happened because he uh, accidentally missed his train, uh, so he needed a place to crash. I did remind him about that train, but he missed it anyway. Manipulation much, right? Um, I remember that very first night, I looked him in the eyes and I said to him, I know exactly what you are. I can mm -hmm. see it in your eyes. And I could. And I went there anyway. I totally overrode that feeling in my gut because I wanted to prove myself wrong, but I wasn't, right. you know? Right. And that's what happens, especially when, when you've been in narcissistic relationships um, for a long time or repeated narcissistic relationships. We start to lose the trust in ourselves, but... If something feels wrong, it is. And then walk away. Yeah. That's like the biggest indication. Because some of them are so sophisticated, so good, you know. Um, but yeah, so really feel what's happening for you, you know. If, if you feel anxiety in your chest, if there is like a weird feeling in your solar plexus area. Right. That, that's yeah. your best friend, you know. <clears throat> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember this moment, um, right. As I was, I knew that my relationship with this person was, um, you know how there's, there's a period where you're like, I could, I could walk out and, and I wouldn't be attached at all. And I wouldn't really be affected, but then you can feel yourself being like, once I go like a little bit further, I'm like toast. Right. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was in this moment and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was I had a text message on my phone. It's like, do you want to do you want to come and have dinner? 
And I just looked at myself and I was like, you know, I'm still here. Like I'm in my body and I, I, I love who I am. But I also knew I had no control over the fact that I was going to go do something that I knew was like not right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I guess I still had something to to learn from that or or to work out. Um, and for me, like I, I do identify with a lot of themes of, of codependency. Um, mm-hmm. I've worked with that a lot. Um, and I, you know, I was I was pretty young too. I was only 25 when yeah. this moment happened. Um, See that whole codependency thing. It's like again, it's like such a label that almost has a stigma to it, you know. But actually, it's yeah. just part I of the human. Yeah, yeah that's part of the human experience, you know. Like most of us have some sort of codependency in one way or another, until we do the work on ourselves, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. So. Yeah. And there's other ways that you can think about it. I know, I know people take it um, as kind of a label where it talks about like, well, if you have dependence on something or if you need something from people, then that's codependency. And that's really not how I understand the term. Um, I think that's like a very harmful way to, uh, to frame it because we all actually have dependencies on others. Like, let's face it, we're humans. Like, that's how we're wired. Um, but it's it's more like, there's something in me that's willing to give up a part of myself mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and kind of like remain in situations uh, to stay in connection with others who may not be the best thing for me. Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's for me is the, is the pattern that I, I really had to confront that at some point because it was um, not only was it like super unpleasant, but I actually into my thirties was letting it like, um, it was starting to affect my, my physical health, you know, yeah. my trajectory of my career, like all these kinds of things just were not um, going well because I, I wasn't, wasn't paying attention to this, this thing. So, and that's what it took. Absolutely. And un- until you do the work, yeah. it's just going to be in a, on a loop. It's going to repeat and repeat and repeat. Yeah. 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 And that's why it's so important for us that, we do take responsibility for ourselves, right? Because, um, I mean, what has happened is horrific. And, um, but the thing is, we can't change it. We can't change them, right? But what we can change is how we feel about it and what we do with it. And I know it sounds very cliche, but it's very, very, it's, it's a key fundamental point, actually, on the healing journey where you go, okay, I've had enough now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all feel sorry for ourselves at one point, you know, because it's just, it's so incredible what has happened to us. And, you know, there's a lot of mourning going on and sadness and emptiness. And, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it, you, you feel like that for a reason. It's not like it's bad emotions. Something really bad has yeah. happened. However, there has to be a point where you go, okay, and now I've had enough, and now I focus on me, myself, my well-being, and, you know, go out there and see how I can fix that. So it's really important if you want to heal from that, that that focus actually needs to shift. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I love that. I love that. There's something, like, very um, reminds me a bit of Buddhism 
Um, it's like this moment where you have to, you know, kind of come to terms with the fact that the the ground mm-hmm. is is uncomfortable. The ground is 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 suffering. There's a, something that's like inherent to what's going on that is not exactly like blissful at all times, no. right? And then the path is is taking responsibility for self and looking at yourself and unblend yourself or like disidentify yourself with some of these stories that that you're that you're telling yourself about like being a victim being abandoned being being hurt by life um yeah it's all about stepping out of the story because again right i said that before your brain cannot distinguish whether something's happening for real or whether you're imagining it and that's the thing with the talk therapy as well right you go there every week you talk about the same thing every week but for your mind yeah. and your body, it's as if it's happening again and again and again. So I'm not saying you don't have the right to tell your story by all means. However, no healing is happening there. So the healing is stepping out of the story yeah. and actually yeah. then see what's underneath all of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess I also think we we, we should probably mention that Ronnie and I – by no means do we do we think that like going to therapy is the wrong approach. Therapy can be really good, um, and there's many different types of therapists out there, and there are therapists who are really skilled at working with this. Um, so it's not it's not like a, a, a like a criticism of the whole field of therapy. And no, no, absolutely it never not. Never for the problem, but it is pointing absolutely. to like. Yeah, it's not trauma yeah, informed. Something um, yeah. working on the deeper, deeper level. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm wondering if you could share with us what what might be upcoming in your business, what offerings you have. Uh, sure. I mean, I have uh, my one-on-one uh, coaching program, Road to Recover Me. And it's a kickstart program uh, which lasts 10 weeks and it's designed uh, to stabilize the emotional well-being and, you know, put your feet firmly back on the ground uh, with a significant reduction of uh, anxiety and and other post-traumatic stress symptoms. Uh, So that enrollment will come up uh, soon, uh, probably early January for February start. Um, I have a masterclass that I'll be running at the beginning of January, which is all about the recovery timeline. And we touched upon that, that there are actually so solid patterns um, in that whole topic of narcissistic abuse. Um, and that mas- it's a free masterclass, which basically gives you the big picture. And oftentimes it's the first time that people see it in the bigger scheme of things. And uh, it will allow you to understand where you're at, how far you've already come, and also where to go from there, which means no matter how lost you feel right now, um, it's actually a framework you can hold on to because you will be able to put yourself exactly somewhere on that timeline. Um, and I also have a workshop coming up, uh, which is um, for you to get unstuck. Uh, no matter where you are on your recovery journey, there will always be like some roadblocks where we don't quite know where to go from here. 
Um, yeah. So it's a it's an interactive live uh, coaching workshop, an all day workshop, which is really designed for you to get very clear on what your next step is for yourself. Because you know I can't tell people what to do. All I can do is give them the tools to do what they need to do to get to where they want to be. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I would I would uh, recommend that you um, follow me on on Facebook. It's uh, Ronya Fraser or Rock and Roll Coach Ronnie, um, because obviously I will post that all up there. Uh, I also have a free ebook you can download on my on my website, uh, which is RonyaFraser.com. And, uh, which will touch on some of the things that we, we talked about today as well. So if you want to have a free resource and now with the weather being bad and all of that, you know, a little, mm -hmm. um, read that actually puts you on the right side of the equation because it's not about them. It's about you and your well-being. Please go ahead, uh, just go on my website, ronyafraser.com and, and download it. Awesome. Yeah. So I will stick all of these links and resources in the show notes and you can go over and check out uh, Roni's offerings. Um, so to wrap up, I've been asking everybody at the end of the episode, um, if you can just in like two to three sentences, um, just tell us what you might like to say to any rising empaths out there who might be listening. Um, First of all, you're not alone. Uh, whatever it is that you're struggling with right now, um, there are actually people out there that get it, even if it may feel like uh, that's not the case. But I promise you there are. And uh, I also want you to know that this is really not a life sentence. Mm. Um You may have been told that as well. Uh, it could not be further from, from the truth. And what's really, really important for me is because we are empaths, right? And it's a gift. It may sometimes feel like a curse, but at the end of the day, it's a gift. If we had more empath in the world, the world would be a better place, right? So mm -hmm. it's not about getting rid of, of being an empath, what we want is to preserve this really wonderful ability, but actually um, on a more healthy level, right? Because you care about people, you want to help people. We would never want to take that away. Um, I mean, I help a lot of people, right? But I'm not self-sacrificing myself anymore. It's all in a healthy way. And, and that's the goal of doing the, the healing work, to be the empath that you are and let yeah. go of everything that doesn't serve you, but, you know, really retain everything you really like about yourself. And um, I think it's just very important to understand that this is actually possible. It's not an either or kind of thing. Great. Thank you so much, Roni, for, for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I was really looking forward to this. Okay, 
And that does it for this week's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about my guest, you can find her over on Instagram. Her name is Rock and Roll Coach Roni, so make sure to follow her over there. You can also head over to her website, which is roniafraser.com, and you can check out her upcoming events and hop on her mailing list. I know she has some free offers available as well through the website. If you'd like to connect more with me, your host, you can find me over on Instagram. My name is at Elizabeth Barr Coaching. And if you'd like to book an appointment through my website or just check out some of my other resources, you can head over to ElizabethBarrCoaching.com. Okay, that wraps us up for today. Thank you so much for being here and have a good week. 